Welcome to SEMRAO Security. Join us as we take a deep dive into the latest IT security information. Learn about security incidents, techniques, and the latest industry trends. Now, here's your host, Brian Semrau. Brian Semrau. Brian Semrau. Brian Semrau. Brian Semrau. Hey there, and welcome to Semrau Security. I'm a full-time digital forensic investigator where my practice focuses on a variety of privacy and security research. I also run a small information security consulting company called InfoSec Chicago. If you haven't guessed yet by the lack of previous episodes, this is our first episode in the show. I've been playing around with the idea of starting up a podcast for a while, and the other day I came across the perfect topic to get the ball rolling. So I bit the bullet and decided to get started. Of course, please bear with me as I start to learn the ins and outs of running a podcast. Hopefully there shouldn't be too many issues, but normally I'm behind the scenes rather than in front of the microphone. With today's episode, we're going to be talking about an article posted in The Hill by Alan Gwynn. I apologize if I'm not saying that correctly, but uh, I, I do believe that's pretty close to the pronunciation. I'll be posting a link to the article and the permalink archive in the episode description, so feel free to check that out. I think it's a good read. If you have already read and familiarized yourself with the article, I'll put a timestamp down below where you can skip ahead to my analysis of the arguments. Mr. Gwynn, or rather Professor Gwynn, claims to be Professor of Practice and in Information Technology at the Cox School of Business at SMU Dallas. He claims to have over four decades of experience with systems, networks, data, and other cyber resources. There's a lot to break down in that introduction, and while I haven't met or talked with Professor Gwynn, based on that introduction and the way the article was written, my suspicion is that he likely has a focus in DevOps and or organizational IT leadership, more so than information security. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that as negative. In fact, the industry tends to be moving more towards uh, a concept of DevSecOps rather than just DevOps that radically shook up the traditional monolithic IT departments shortly after agile development became the latest buzz phrase. I'm simply bringing this up so that we can properly frame what he's talking about in this article, which is ostensibly that of someone with a bit of an outsider's perspective looking in on the average InfoSec person working within a traditional IT department. Just to talk about a quick summary of the article's contents before I jump into my views on the article, we can see a few main topics that Professor Gwen brings out. He talks about how the recent Colonial Pipeline attack is the latest in a list of breaches that is constantly growing with the threat actor managing to get through the InfoSec industry best practices, and how reports are coming daily about new incidents hitting major organizations and breaching the confidentiality of data all over the dark web. And of course, guarding over these resources that are getting compromised are ostensibly an army of InfoSec professionals sporting credentials like the CISSP, CISA, and even degrees ranging from undergraduate to doctoral degrees. That one hit me hard since I'm just about to graduate with a master's degree in cyber forensics and security myself. But the commonalities that we see with these companies is that they always tout the industry best practices, which I think it's true. It's something that I've noticed too. Professor Gwynn goes on to point out that these very impressive people are skilled in the art of tedious IT tasks such as audits, policy changes, and defending these changes in 100-plus page memos, ostensibly code reviews, and making developers' lives miserable, etc. Yet with all of this, what happens when there is a security breach? Of course, everyone except them is to blame. Maybe the user did something that was just in their nature, or maybe they can blame a vendor. Anything like that. 
But Professor Gwynn's thesis is that the industry's best practices are not, in fact, best practices. Rather, they can be dangerous practices, such as following least privileges and only allowing network administrators to access the network, the server guys to access the servers, and developers to access the development environment, etc. His argument is that these practices limit the ability of employees who understand the system to be able to identify anomalies, which are key indicators of threats in progress. Professor Gwynn sums all of this up by saying the good guys are administratively prevented from having a holistic view of systems, networks, applications, workstations, and other resources, when this holistic view is exactly what is needed to prevent cyber attacks. It seems that the only person with a truly holistic view of a corporate network and data resources is the hacker himself, or the herself, or whoever. Unfortunately, hackers tend to not comply with corporate information security policies. He then goes on to recommend that companies release information securities when they fail with a one-strike-in-you're-out hiring policy, never to hire an information security employee who has worked for a firm that has had a security incident. Additionally, he basically recommends granting all IT personnel, including developers, access to virtually everything within the infrastructure so they can investigate anomalies. Overall, I thought this was a very interesting article to read. There's a lot I agree with and a lot that I disagree with. I typed up a bit of it in a social media response, but I thought that a podcast would be a great place to go more in depth. First and foremost, I wanted to address the assertion of industry best practices. I find this to be a buzz phrase more than anything else. It's ambiguous, and it really doesn't say anything substantiative, which I think is one of the reasons that lawyers who are defending these companies and people writing press releases like to use it. It really doesn't say anything. I think if we were to dig into how Colonial Pipeline got hit with this ransomware, we would find that they really were not following what the vast majority of information security professionals would consider industry best practices. Now, of course, I could be completely wrong about that, and maybe they were following what most in the industry would consider best practices, but my money is more along the lines of they were being really stupid in at least one area of their security posture. Maybe they left RDP open, maybe they had uh, SMB access open, maybe they allowed users to have admin credentials on their endpoints. You know, there could be any number of reasons that led to this, but if that is the case, then the entire premise of utilizing this attack to make this point falls flat on its face. And frankly, that's all that this was. Just one example that Professor Gwynn was utilizing to make his point. So the argument that even if Colonial Pipeline really was following best practices, the vast majority of other breaches that he referenced were not following what would generally be considered best practices. A lot of them fall within the types of issues that I mentioned before. Now, with that being said, I actually do agree with that main premise. I've actually said it a little bit before, um, generally a little bit differently, but my view is that if what the industry was doing right now was working, then we wouldn't have as many problems as we do today. In various companies I've consulted for, I generally have senior leadership telling me that they did X, Y, or Z at a previous company, and that worked great. Frankly, I almost always call BS, just a little bit nicer, of course, on something like that. Unless they can give me specifics on what exactly worked better compared to what using actual data and not just general feelings, then my view is that is highly suspect anecdotal data. Now, of course, you know, organizational knowledge is important, and we have to factor that into our security plans. But just saying that what another company did worked is is kind of ignoring a lot of other possibilities. The problem with any approach to security is that it works great until it doesn't, 
And unless you have data such as that from pen testing or threat hunting or anything else like that, where you can back up the claims in terms of what works and what doesn't, you rarely have any real data that you can say whether or not you were just lucky or it was actually working. The kicker is that many of these times, these companies just don't have the logging and visibility they need to even identify when there is a threat actor in their systems. So for all the people quoting this anecdotal data, they may have had actual major security failures and not even known about it. Instead of taking a traditional approach to security, I always like to challenge the why of something. Why should we have passwords expiring every 30 days? Spoiler alert, we shouldn't. Why is removing admin rights from endpoints, at least in a traditional sense, the best way to limit users from least privilege? Why do we need a network edge when the vast majority of our employees are working from home? Are we sending enterprise-grade firewalls to each and every employee's house and are making them ask the local Starbucks to plug it in when they go to get a coffee and bring their laptop? Or are we just focusing on outdated security models that need to be updated for the situations when we have to assume and plan for the worst? So in that sense, yes, if we're talking about industry best practices and the way that they are typically viewed from a traditional work environment, I would have to agree that there are probably better ways of handling these things without getting so bogged down in tradition. In regards to the argument of people with impressive resumes getting bogged down in tedious tasks such as paperwork, policies, etc., I think it's important to recognize that this often isn't by choice. It's a part of the job that most of us would probably rather not be doing. I always claim that working in security or forensics is 75% paperwork, 10% really repetitive stuff that really should be automated, 5% building those automations, and 5% making sure that the automations work. And the remaining 5% is really, 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 really cool stuff that makes everything else worth it. I would propose that the vast majority of people in these roles probably hate the paperwork and tedium, but they put up with it because they have to and they have a passion for the work that they are in. It, because it's so rare to see somebody working in InfoSec beyond entry-level roles who doesn't have a passion for it. With the exception of maybe certain executive leadership positions such as CISO, which have more of a business focus than anything else, in which case they may be passionate about the business and not necessarily always about security. And a lot of, not to say that I'm you know, dumping on CISOs, a lot of them are very passionate about security, but you can also have executives who've just been migrated into that position as well. But to be fair, it is often easy to get lost in that work and lose sight of the bigger picture, especially when compliance requirements are involved. It is also admittedly a big problem in the industry to play the blame game. This is frankly the case with all parts of IT and isn't always a conscious decision to be doing that, but it's very noticeable to the other side when that happens. Instead of taking an issue, security or otherwise, by the reins and running with it, we take guesses and blame it on other parts of technology stacks that we may not be quite as familiar with, but because it seems like that could be the culprit, we generally just assume that is the culprit. Frankly, I'm guilty of that myself, although I do try to avoid that and take ownership of issues as much as I possibly can. While the blame game is an issue in IT, having a separation of duties is also very important, although it will drastically depend on the size of the company. If we are talking a mom-and-pop shop with one or two technicians, then they will obviously have keys to the kingdom. Whereas a massive global organization is likely going to have hundreds of IT peoples and roles and will have better defined duties to separate out. I'm not saying that people shouldn't have access they need to do their job, something that most of us in security often forget. After all, availability is part of the CIA triad, 
but a network administrator shouldn't have access to change the code that the app dev team manages and the app dev team shouldn't be able to update routing rules unless that is part of their job. While a holistic view of the network is vitally important, it is also important to ensure that those with that view understand what they are looking at. This isn't to say that anyone on these teams is incompetent, but even within the InfoSec industry, there is a large number of people who just don't know how to go about gathering actionable data. Just having access to data isn't enough. You have to be able to manage it centrally, such as in a seam. You have to know what you're looking for and filter out the noise. It's a very specialized and tedious skill set. Very few of the networking or server teams have and are willing to utilize that skill set within a threat hunting or SOC scenario. In fact, fixing visibility issues is almost always one of the biggest projects that I have to fix when I onboard a new client. While most organizations hope to catch threat actors within weeks to months after entry, once I get the visibility I need, I always manage our detection in hours, not days. Now, it's important to remember that anomaly detection and visibility is a reactive control, not a proactive control. If you are detecting a breach because of anomaly or visibility, then in most cases you have already had a breach. Whether or not there was impact yet is another question, but you've already had a breach and now you have to enact your IR plan because you have a threat actor in your environment. That's the main issue with pouring all of your eggs into the visibility basket and why we do still need that separation of duties. So up until this point, I have mostly agreed with Professor Gwent, just with a few semantic differences here and there. But here's where I disagree with him the most, and I'm going to read you his statement word for word here. Implement a one-strike-and-you-are-out hiring policy for information security employees. When they fail, do not let it happen twice. Also, never hire an information security employee who has ever worked for a firm that has had a security incident. Their industry best practices did not work for the previous employer. Why should they work better for the next victim? These former employees bring disaster. Now, to be fair, an editor's note was later added to the bottom of the article, which states, The author, Professor Gwen, stated that his column included what is likely to have been the worst wording he has ever used in his life in the 19th and 20th paragraphs, which suggested that he favored the willy-nilly firing of a whole staff of people after a security incident. His intent was to hold leadership accountable. He now states that businesses and industries should implement a one-strike-and-you-are-out hiring policy for information security leadership, whose job it is to secure systems and networks after a major expensive breach. Rotate leadership and do not let it happen twice. Also weed out and avoid hiring that former information security leader. I do appreciate his clarification. However, I still take a lot of issue with that statement. Not because I dislike someone saying that I shouldn't be in the industry anymore if I made a major mistake. Obviously, there are instances where I think people need to be blacklisted from the industry. And if I make such a major mistake, myself included. For instance, CISOs who have no background in InfoSec and instead have graduate degrees in music composition... Yes, that was the case with the major company that had a breach. I won't say their name, but, you know, it doesn't take much to find them. That being said, the immediate assumption is that the information security personnel were responsible for the lapse and controls, and this may often be false. I can't tell you how many times I've built a solid security plan for a client, and due to cost or other issues, they only implemented half of it. Is it my fault that they didn't listen to me and instead prioritized profits of the company? You might argue that I could have tried harder to get them to see the values, and by no means do I just roll over when they say no and leave themselves open, but this is a systematic issue across corporate America. This doesn't even begin to address the issue of acceptable risk. There's always some level of accepted risk within information security. There's no way to control for all risk. 
You could air gap a computer by encasing it in a block of cement and leave it locked at the heart of Fort Knox, and yet there would still be some risk to that. And that isn't even an option in 99.9% of the situations, probably more. When in information security, you have two main things that you have to juggle in getting acceptance for everything. First of all, you have to understand that availability is part of the CIA triad, which uh, if you're not familiar with that, and I think I mentioned it earlier, I apologize for not spelling that out. That stands for confidentiality, integrity, and availability. Those are the three things in the industry pretty much agreed upon within information security professionals that need to be focused on when you're doing an information security role. Secondly, you have to juggle the needs of the business. If your solution is stopping the company from doing business, either because you're bankrupting them in order to enact your plan, or the employees can no longer access the resources they need to do their job, then you have failed. If the company is still running without being bankrupt and the employees can still access the resources they need, then you are accepting risk in some fashion. And that has to be accepted. There is no way around that in most cases. You know, you can control for certain aspects of that risk, but you can't control for all risk. There is no such thing as 0% risk. The bottom line is that just because a company had a breach does not mean that their InfoSec employees should be immediately blacklisted. Although, that's honestly what happens most of the time. Usually with the employees that have the least amount of power to enact change being the first to be blacklisted, not the leadership. So again, I do appreciate Professor Gwynn's clarification that he's talking more about leadership than, um, say, you know, the SOC technicians or somebody like that. But even so, I mean, you still have to consider that, you know, the leadership may not always have 100% control in order to enact the things that they need to do. It could be that they're being stopped by other parts of the leadership of the company. Professor Gwynn goes on to recommend embracing a holistic approach to information security. He encourages collaboration with other teams and going against the grain of industry best practices. I do agree with that. I always question the why of something and don't rely on tradition to tell me what to do in a constantly evolving threat landscape. What I don't agree with are his further recommendations to replace information security professionals with competent, technically skilled professionals. And he's referring to the rest of the IT department there. He's not saying that you should only hire technically competent uh skilled professionals for security roles. He Earlier, he was talking about doing that for the entire IT department and getting rid of uh, the security personnel. And that's assuming that I'm reading his wording correctly. Um, it, it could be a little bit ambiguous, but um, maybe that's also part of the worst wording he used in his life too. But I, I do believe he's saying that, you know, we should be relying on spreading out the security roles to the other, to the rest of the IT department rather than hiring dedicated security employees. He goes on to recommend that after hiring these technically competent and skilled professionals, you give them access to the tools and access they need to protect the firm's resources by granting network administrators access to the server cluster, developers access to the network and workstations, and reverting to the practices that were used before ransomware, breaches, and other information security disasters, um, at least before they became commonplace. That I tend to disagree with quite a bit. The hiring methods he recommends may make sense for smaller companies, and I'll absolutely give him that one. But for a medium to large company or even an enterprise, each of these teams has their own jobs to do, and you need security personnel who can watch over everything and whose job it is to watch for these anomalies. And for TTPs, which are tools, techniques, and procedures used by attackers, and other IOCs, which is indicators of compromise. You also need security personnel for more advanced procedures such as pen testing, threat hunting, and vulnerability analysis. 
I, you know, I love working with the network administrators. I love working with developers. I love working with system admins. But the reality is they just don't have the experience to do that. And most of them will tell you that too. In regards to Professor Gwynn's argument, which he sums up as the security approaches that existed before industry best practices really do work. Ask the net hacker who breaches security. I would contend that a malicious threat actor who is breaching your, net your network is not the one you should be asking for advice on how to secure your network so it doesn't happen again. And the argument that security approaches that existed before breaches became commonplace does not work because it was simply security through obscurity. These old practices were replaced because they do not work and people were getting breached. We need to be forward-thinking. We can't be backward-thinking. We need to be thinking about user-centric security, where instead of blaming the user or simply relying on security awareness training, which, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to diminish the, the importance of security awareness training, we have to assume that the user is going to do the worst possible thing, and we have to control for that. When they don't, we are pleasantly surprised, but human nature is to make mistakes. Instead of finding someone else to blame for that mistake, let's try to plan ahead for those mistakes. Recognize that we are going to make mistakes ourselves and leverage collaboration with a larger team to help fill those gaps. We have to have monitoring and logging in place, which is actively analyzed so that in-progress breaches can be stopped in hours, not days, weeks, months, or years, which, is, which seems to be the commonplace for the industry. Overall, I really like Professor Gwynn's article. It ruffled feathers and got discussions rolling. I think that is very much needed in the information security community. I think we need to get away from the rut that a lot of industry professionals are falling into where they're dealing more with the office politics than they are with the threat actors and keeping up to date on the latest threat research. If what we are doing now is working, we wouldn't be in the situation of seeing breaches in the news every day. So instead of playing the blame game, to see whose fault it is, we have to be looking at the systematic issues in the industry to figure out how to fix those and empower those who are in place to protect the organization against future threats instead of cutting them out at the knees with the budget and everything else. Thank you to everyone who's tuned in and made it this far. If you like this podcast, please like and subscribe to it. Let me know what you thought. I look forward to the next discussion on the information security industry. Until next time, stop, think, connect. Thank you.